welcome to the Your Favourite Teacher podcast. Today we're going to be looking at William Shakespeare's Macbeth with Miss Shaw. For additional support materials, visit yourfavouriteteacher.com. Today's focus is on Lady Macbeth and how she both conforms and subverts the Jacobean female stereotype. We will explore her actions throughout the play and what leads to her downfall shortly before Macbeth's. We first meet Lady Macbeth in Act 1, Scene 5, when she reads the letter from her husband about the witch's first predictions. Immediately, she is excited at the prospect of her and her husband becoming royalty, but quickly picks out Macbeth's flaw as being too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Here, the sibilance Shakespeare has employed emphasises her devious nature. It is clear at this point that she is devoted to doing everything she can to ensure the predictions become a reality. This exemplifies her as a loving, devoted wife, and therefore she does conform to the role of the woman at this point. Catch the Nearest Way is quickly followed by referring to Duncan's entrance to her home as fatal, when she learns that the king plans to stay at their castle. This alludes to Lady Macbeth knowing that Duncan's murder will be the quickest way to get what she wants. At this part, she begins to subvert the role of the woman by speaking to the spirits, asking them to unsex her. Speaking to the spirits links Lady Macbeth with the supernatural. She's asking to replace her fragile feminine emotions with masculine ones to make her brave and strong in the face of the task at hand. Stop up the access and passage to remorse confirms that she wants to make sure she is completely free of feminine thought in order to execute her plan to the best of her ability. Everything linked to her femininity needs to be gone, which is why she continues to ask the spirits to take her milk for gall, meaning to replace her breast milk for poison. It seems that her plea is answered, as when Macbeth enters, she quickly tells him to act like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it, when he speaks to Duncan. Again, Shakespeare's use of sibilance exaggerates her devious nature, with serpent having connotations of evil, therefore confirming that the spirits have taken hold of her nature. Lady Macbeth continues to subvert the female stereotype when she reappears in Act 1, Scene 7. Instead of being passive and submissive, she challenges Macbeth's sudden change of heart and manipulates him into continuing with their original plan. She tells her husband he would be so much more the man if only he killed the king. Here, she is challenging his strength and bravery in order to manipulate him. The next section of this dialogue seemingly reveals Lady Macbeth to have previously had a child. As the audience, we can assume the child died, seeing as there is no appearance of a mini Macbeth in the whole play. Lady Macbeth says, I have given suck, and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. This shows Lady Macbeth's feminine side. However, it is quickly followed by the fact that she would have dashed the brains out if it was all that was standing between the predictions coming true. A Jacobean audience would have been outraged by Lady Macbeth's actions. She is now taking her promise to be a loyal and doting wife too far, first by calling to the spirits, then by saying she'd harm her own child to get what she wants. At this point, we would begin to question Lady Macbeth's sanity. Is she suffering a form of post-traumatic stress disorder after the death of her child? It's highly likely, but more about that later. Lady Macbeth continues to take charge in Act 2, Scene 2, after the murder of Duncan, telling Macbeth a little water clears us of this deed. How easy it is then. That's right, Lady Macbeth just alluded to the fact that committing regicide is easy. Water symbolises purity, life and freedom. Her and Macbeth will soon be free to claim the crown, that's for sure, but she also downplays the murder by calling it a deed, as if it were a simple chore that needed to be completed. Clearly asking the spirits to strip her of her femininity is working, because this scene shows a complete power shift between male and female. Macbeth is acting very scared and erratic, whereas Lady Macbeth is calm and ordering Macbeth to get his act together and act as normal as possible. 
Although she is subverting the female stereotype in so many ways, the audience could still see her as a dutiful wife, doing everything to ensure her husband gets what he wants. This goes as far as fainting in scene three to draw away attention from Macbeth to avoid the other characters from getting suspicious of Duncan's murder. Lady Macbeth continues to divert attention from Macbeth in Act 3, when he spirals more and more out of control. In Act 3, Scene 4, when Macbeth reacts to Banquo's ghost, Lady Macbeth tells the guests he has been this way since a child and it's best for them to ignore his actions. When Macbeth continues, she dismisses his guests, telling them to go at once. It seems that Lady Macbeth uses all of her time and energy ensuring her husband is okay, with little thought towards herself. This becomes apparent in Act 5, Scene 1, when she reappears, observed by her maid and a doctor while sleepwalking. Her commanding words from previous acts come back to haunt her as she hallucinates blood on her hands. Out, damn spot, disputes her earlier claims that a little water will clear them of this deed. Act 5, Scene 1 is interestingly the direct opposite of Act 1, Scene 5, when Lady Macbeth first speaks to the spirits. This suggests that Lady Macbeth's sleepwalking and madness is a result of her dabbling with the supernatural elements. She has spent the entire play ensuring that her husband gets what he wants and remains the king, despite almost revealing their secret many times. However, this strength seems to have dwindled and we see Lady Macbeth as weak, the power visibly drained from her as she replays previous conversations to herself. Ultimately, Lady Macbeth's downfall is her own karma, having dealt with the realm of spirituality and the supernatural elements. Now, back to the post-traumatic stress disorder theory. Lady Macbeth clearly says in Act 1, Scene 7 that she knows what it feels like to have breastfed a child. Critics believe that the only explanation for Lady Macbeth's behaviour is the shock of a past experience, the loss of her child. She has already failed as a mother to provide her husband with an heir, so it stands to reason that she will want to prove herself and ensure her husband is at least successful in what the witches have predicted, right? It would be silly to ignore the importance of this baby and its absence to Lady Macbeth's character. It's almost certain she would not have behaved in this way if she still had a child to look after. Plus, Lady Macbeth's symptoms fit with seven of the ten most common in bereaved mothers. General nervousness, sleeplessness, nightmares, persistent fears, depression, feelings of panic and repeated unusual thoughts. That is all you need to know about Lady Macbeth. She spends the play devoted to ensuring her husband's prophecies are fulfilled, only to end up driving herself mad, therefore unable to enjoy the fruits of her labour. Her death is ambiguous, although most critics believe she killed herself. Just to throw another interpretation into the works, Lady Macbeth was the last person who knew about the original predictions. Macbeth was happy to kill off his best friend. Could he have ordered Lady Macbeth's death as well? Like I said, her death is ambiguous, but it's always good to try and include more than one interpretation. You can link Lady Macbeth to the following key themes. Power, good versus evil, ambition, guilt and supernatural. The witches open the play, which would have shocked a Jacobean audience, considering they were feared by many. Immediately, we get an insight into their true powers, learning that they can see into the future, change the weather, and vanish and appear whenever they want. These were key traits for witches, which seemingly led to many women being killed on the principle that they were practising witchcraft. In Act 1, Scene 1, the witches chant, Fair is foul, and foul is fair. These words are juxtaposed, immediately foreshadowing that characters in the play who seem good and righteous may actually be tainted or evil. Seeing as they've just agreed to meet Macbeth on the heath, we can assume that this is who they're talking about. The fact that the witches open the play leads the audience to believe that they hold the most power over the other characters. This would have been thought of as immoral, seeing as witchcraft and the supernatural was frowned upon by King James, who declared that anyone found to be associating with or practising witchcraft would be killed. 
This could then become a warning to the Jacobean audience members not to get caught up in the supernatural. The witches also speak in rhyme, emphasising their power. High-status characters generally speak in poetry, compared to low-status characters who speak in prose. To quickly identify this when looking at the play, if a character is speaking in poetry, there was a capital letter at the start of each line. However, with prose, there isn't. The opening of Act 1, Scene 3 does more than just revisit the theme of the supernatural. The tale of the sailor foreshadows the fate in store for Macbeth. The sailor becomes a captain, is tossed into a tempest of ill fortune and is denied sleep. The power of the witches continues when they make the first set of predictions that ultimately cause the death of Duncan. Each witch makes a prediction, beginning with All Hail Macbeth. The repetition here highlights Macbeth's fate to the audience. We begin to wonder if these predictions will really come true. When questioned, the witches vanish into thin air, leaving Macbeth and Banquo confused about their fate. Vanishing only emphasises their power over the fate of the characters in the play. Macbeth spends a huge chunk of the play plotting, scheming and killing until he returns to the witches in Act 4, Scene 1 to find out more about his fate. Structurally, this is a repetition of the opening scenes of the play. Where Macbeth's destiny is in the hands of the witches, he receives three prophecies and is once again left on his own to decide how best to interpret them. This cyclical structure highlights the ultimate power the witches hold over him and the other characters. They are the only ones who can give Macbeth an insight into whether he will retain the crown. When Macbeth becomes demanding, the witches antagonise him by taking on a mocking tone. Speak, demand, will answer. When they create the potion to give Macbeth his next prophecies, the ingredients they use are made up of the worst body parts and entrails of hated human beings and animals. When added together, these can be interpreted as creating the ultimate monster, Macbeth. The second set of prophecies are even more confusing than the first, leading Macbeth to think he's invincible, thus creating the monster that has Macduff's family slaughtered. So, there we have it. Are the witches to blame for Macbeth's downfall? Yes and no. You can link the witches to the following key themes. Power, good versus evil, fate and the supernatural. Visit yourfavouriteteacher.com for videos, worksheets and everything you need to exceed in your studies. Thanks for listening.